Well, good morning, everyone. I am so excited to finally have Alex on the podcast. It's been a little bit of a trial back and forth with voices not working and little bugs slipping in to slow up the time frame. Um, thank you, Alex, for giving us your time this morning. I really appreciate it. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are, and anything you'd like to share about yourself. Yeah, sure thing. So, well, thank you so much for having me on the on the show, Linda. I've been very excited to talk to you. Um, so, look, probably the starting point is um, I consider myself a pretty ordinary guy. Like, um, I my I don't have any background in nutrition. I'm not a doctor. Um, my background is actually in finance, and oh, um, so it's it's a very different world to sort of the health world that uh, that you're in. But um, as a passion of mine, it probably started uh, in 2010, where my real interest in nutrition and uh, that world began. So um, that's probably the most interesting part. So I started with back in 2010, where I actually stumbled across a book written by a guy called Art Devaney. Now, at the time, oh. he, he was a 70-year-old man at the time, but he was an absolute beast. Like he he had the the blood markers of a sort of a 30-year-old. He was running around with his grandkids and and uh was like physically had the body of someone that was in their sort of 30s or 40s. So that was the real thing that piqued my interest. So from there I thought, well I'd love to be that guy. I like when I'm I, I haven't years. heard of that guy. Is it Arthur Vaney? I'm just uh, Art, Arthur. yeah so Arthur is his name, but Art Devaney. The book that I read was um it's called The New Evolution Diet, I believe it was. Okay. Um, I wanted to look at it. Thank you. It was so long ago that I read it. So yeah. um, it was it was not nothing sciencey, nothing nutrition. It was more the evolutionary side. And I just it really sort of struck me because I went, you know what, when I'm 80, I'd love to be yeah. with my grandkids and, uh, you know, delay the onset of aging as much as I possibly could. So not just participate, but be the first picked on their team when I'm an 80 year old, that would be. Mm. That's interesting. Cause a lot of people, I mean, that's my perspective as well. Cause I've got grandbabies. I've got uh, seven of six of them, six of them. So I also want to be that person, but a lot of people come to the low carb, lifestyle usually from some kind of a health crisis that's usually what turns them to this point so it's interesting to hear that people are starting to think about uh, a low-carb lifestyle as a longevity thing because we all know the benefits as we age uh, looking after our bodies you can get away with it when you're young yes but I feel like can you get away with it or are you setting up a pattern or a or a position in your body or pathways that aren't working well for you so that you're you do age as you get older quicker yes yeah, that's interesting yeah, that's where I started so I was uh late 20s then so I'm in my early 40s now um so it was, it was quite a long time ago in 2010 so I thought you know what if we're going to try something let's go all in so his his approach was very much evolutionary so only eat stuff that's been around for more than a thousand years or even beyond mm. it was very yep. much old foods and <laughs> Um, now it wasn't called that at the end, but very much like the low carb, high fat, um, uh, sort of diet. So I did that. I thought I'll go completely commit for a month, see how I go. And then when, after about a month, then, you know, I'll find that happy ground in between where I don't have to commit. And my realization was after a month, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never felt better in my life. I wow, honestly yeah. can't go back. And that yeah. was my big aha moment. Um, yeah. And look, even in my late 20s, I got my six pack back and I've had one. Gosh. Ever. Yeah. And it's had been one ever since. Good ever work. Since. Yeah. I'm still and working was... on mine. <laughs> it's hiding there so, still. 
it's um i mean that wasn't the goal it was but it was a nice sort of little side effect and um after that one month i was like oh my god this is amazing so that was the start of my journey where i then um kind of a year or two later uh, the next big step was when gary taubes wrote his book or released his book good calories bad calories which um, many of your listeners may have, have heard, but it was a, it's a phenomenal book. And it really, um, for me, was the the, the deal clincher of, of uh, shining a light on the science behind it all. Um, and ah. also the political side of how we got to where we got to. So once I understood that, then I uh, like I like to really understand things and pull things apart. Um, and so that really drove me to kind of decide, well, let's dig into this and let's see how far we can not push it, but explore it and how much benefit can I get out of here because it was such a dramatic change for me. Yeah, it's interesting that I feel like people have the perspective of the diet culture where we have to be on a particular diet. Mm. And I, I'm happy to say that once people start eating the optimal human diet or the ancestral human diet or, as you've expressed, the diet that we're supposed to eat, it's not actually a diet. It's a way of eating that we somehow have lost connection with. And I know lately in all the social media channels that I follow, there's a lot of high-class doctors that are trying to bring this whole idea back together. So it's it's interesting that we perceive that we have to be on a diet, but it's actually just a way of living. And I guess you could even say that we're on a diet of crap food, you know, yes. making us all feel well. That's the diet that we're on, but we need to find the nutritional the benefit of eating a nutritionally dense diet to, to yeah. feed our bodies properly because yeah. you don't give, I mean, I, I think about this when you pot plants, you don't pot plants and feed them with, um, you know, like a cup of sugar every day. You feed them with the nutrients that they know how to use to make them grow. That's what we do. And we've kind of lost touch with that. Yeah, absolutely. And everything, so I'm very much in that camp. So in my mind, our bodies are exquisite, machines like they are, they are incredible but uh often call it our brains or our, our smarts as a species get in the road of all of that and if we just let our bodies do what they sh- they've been designed to do everything functions functions really beautifully so going back to that evolutionary approach um i think my view around the science is the science just explains it doesn't change how our bodies behave all it does is is an attempt to explain how they behave so mm-hmm. if it doesn't fit that evolutionary approach then um I, I think the model needs more some more work or our understanding needs to catch up so um, the education needs to be other. spread yeah yeah the science yeah. Just explains just the real world which is at its mm-hmm. core is really what it's designed mm-hmm. So tell me, Alex, why did you decide to do five marathons in five days? What was your plan? What was your goal for that? It's a bit yes. extreme. I've it told is. a few people about you over the weekend and they've said, oh, that guy's crazy. What was he doing? That can't be healthy. So <laughs> why did you do five marathons in five yes, days? And you did it fasted mean. as well, didn't you? Correct. Yeah. So the way I explain it, what I what, what I set out to achieve was everyone understands the idea of fasting. So um, I committed to a five-day fast, five consecutive days, and within those five days, I would run a, a one marathon every single day. So there was no feeding after marathons or between any of that. It was wow. it's extreme. So to understand the why, it would be um, understand the journey that I've come on and through what I've decided around or what I've learnt in this space. So one was um, being... Uh, uh, 
very much a, a kind of adhering to the low carb lifestyle for so long that um, mm. uh, and the benefits associated with that. Um, the science side of it around the sports nutrition was a realization that um, that essentially our bodies have uh, two main fuel sources, one of those being glucose or glycogen, uh, which everyone understands. And that's the part that everyone believes, particularly for an endurance event, mm, absolutely. That our bodies need to tap into. Hence mm. the idea of look, you need to carb load, you need to really get as much energy in that tank as you can before you commit to something as, as challenging as a marathon. Um, but what what that really ignores is that we do have another fuel tank, which is our I call our fat fuel tank. So that is our other fuel source. Now, head to head, when you put them side by side, our fat fuel, our carbohydrate fuel tank um, is it has a maximum capacity of approximately two thousand calories. Okay. Now, me as a very lean individual, um, I, I don't have a lot of body fat on me. I'm about 14, 15% body fat. Um, uh -huh. so on me, my fuel tank, purely in fat reserves, is about 100,000 calories. So, 2,000 calories versus the 100,000, absolutely, is it is enormous. So, part of the why was saying, well, when one is fat adapted and one has uh, committed to the so called a ketogenic lifestyle, where um, we can talk about how you do that. But for now, when one is fat adapted, what that means is your body is burning primarily fat as its fuel source rather than relying on the, um, the glycogen fuel tank. Um, it means that your fuel tank is, is so much larger and what you can do on that fuel tank without needing to refuel um, is can be quite extraordinary. So it kind of, I like to test everything because I figure um, theories are great, but look, and when you test it on yourself, then I can put my hand up and say that I definitively know that look, this is the case for me. So yeah. coming back to why did I do it? It was, well, now that I've been armed with the knowledge that on me, I have 100,000 calories, <laughs> we put it in terms of marathons. That's if I were to theoretically just use that amount of energy to run marathons, ignoring everything else, um, that is enough energy to fuel me for 22 marathons. So right. I set myself a target of five, which is obviously much less than the 22, but it is an aggressive target. Um, so it was, well, look, if this really does stack up, then, uh, what a great way to find out and to just to really give it a go. So as, um, part of, uh, like the other reason is look, one is understanding, well, is it possible? Um, the other is where in such an environment now where it is believed to be such common knowledge, it's so ingrained around the, the concept of needing to be. Uh, fat as needing to be um, loading up on carbs prior to an endurance event that when I mentioned it prior to doing this, that this is what I'm looking to do. Uh, the feedback generally was one, you're insane, but two, like you will not survive. Like this is so extreme um, that, uh, you know, you, you're really putting yourself in danger. So a lot of the work that I had to do prior was to get comfortable that yes, this is a real thing. Um, and uh, by achieving it, then it does change people's mindset a little bit around saying, well, I only what I thought was possible was only to run one marathon at a time because I have to rely on my glucose. Um, so by demonstrating that I've now run five, well, it, I'm hoping it will force people's minds to change a little bit and at least be open to, look, there is another yeah. way to do things. Um, so and allow people to choose how they want to go about doing it but it's more shining a light on look there is an alternative rule book 
to the uh, carb loading um, playbook, which is um, you know every hour or so having a scoff of gel or some some glucose to top oh. up your yep. very small glycogen fuel tank. The drinks, the power drinks. How yeah. did it? Were you at all fatigued during that time frame? Like, did the lack of food, for want of a better word, make you feel fatigued? Uh, surprisingly, no. So the parts that everyone thinks that always would be the most difficult were actually really easy. So there wasn't one period through the entire five days in all five marathons where I genuinely felt fatigued. Um, and I, but I will draw a distinction between fatigue and uh, soreness. So um, I didn't have any muscle soreness per se, but ligaments and tendons are a very different thing, uh, and that yeah. was the part that took its toll. So um, I, I would I would my analogy would be. Um, if you figured out that you could now drive your car indefinitely um, and call it on one fuel tank, drive 100,000 kilometres, it's yeah. kind of your tyres wear out before your fuel tank runs out. So it was oh, right. the yes. part that really hurt me was, um, yeah, joint pain and ligaments. My body was not used to that amount of volume. Um, so I had more energy than my body could actually handle. Was so was it more of a mind, like was your mind, like I've started park running, just a little five-kilometre one. Yeah. And even in that run, my mind is always trying to tell me, oh, you know, you're running a bit fast or your heart's racing, you need to stop. Did you have all of that mental? And how did, what do you do to get over, if it did happen, how, what do yeah. you do to get over that? Well, there were two things. One it was actually quite liberating the way that I went about running these marathons. So previously when I run, it was like try and run as fast as I can. And it's always that mental game of right push. If it's hurting, then I'm doing the right thing. Um, my goal here was just to prove what is possible to cover the amount of distance that I had to cover, uh, which was five marathons. It was 212 kilometers was the challenge, which I had to, had to do. So just getting through that distance was the goal. So my methodology was running to a heart rate. So I would be measuring my heart rate as I ran. If my heart rate got too high, then I would back off the pace and even back to a, to a walk just to allow that, that to come back in which mentally was very liberating because it meant I wasn't mentally trying to push myself at all. It was, look, if my heart rate's out of whack, I need to allow it to come back. And it was really just running around that. Now, the mental side of it, there was definitely a mental element, which was um, where when my hip or my knee or my ankles started screaming at me, it was how do we continue to put one foot in front of the other when my body is saying, okay, I've had, I've had enough here. So, um, and I can share with you some tricks that I use to try and get through that, if you like. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, sure. So for me, the mental thing was um, uh, I, I prepared for it. So I have a, a few little sayings in my head. So one of them was um, that the, I had my funny ones, which was the pain is just weakness leaving the body um, and saying that um, I would say another good one would be um, when my legs were really hurting, I would think about someone that look cannot use their legs. And I'd be thinking, yeah. okay, how much would, if I was in that person's position, how much would I give to be able to be in the pain that I'm in right now? And I, and that would totally flip it. And I'm like, okay, I'm um, appreciating the pain that I'm in. Yeah. So, okay. Another, yeah. Another mental one. Right. Uh, the other was that, uh, look, pain is temporary. It's one of those things. I'll remember this forever, but five minutes after the pain will disappear. Um, but also my other favourite was have no off switch. Or I would say to myself, there is no off switch. And if you tell ah, yourself okay. you, you do not give up, um, that mental determination 
I now believe um, can be a choice. So if you just choose never to stop, then that was that's it. That's the choice made. There is no other choice. Um, so one of the things I always hear about is when you're running is you get the runner's high. Did you get that runner's high? Because I haven't I've yet to experience this on my little park runs. Yeah. But how what does that feel like for you? Um I would describe it in twofold. One, it's very much a mental thing, but yes, I absolutely did get the runner's high. Um every and- day or was it for the five days, like after you finished running, did you still have that or does it come after you've run? Uh, it, it would come on and off, but yeah. I, I felt it because I did quite a bit of training coming into it too and I felt it. Um, what was interesting, even with all of my training, part of the runner's high would be um, I, I would be running early, so I might be out the door at 4 a.m. because I've got young kids. So right, yeah, yeah, got to fit it in. Yeah, life in. Um, but if you were able to do something early in the day, that run as high would be, I just feel like I can conquer the world. So I'd come back, oh. have a lot of mental clarity. It would be, um, I find it almost a sort of a meditative state because when you're running for so long, it, your mind starts to just have to wander. Um, so th- that part of it was sort of the mental clarity was really great. Um, the oh, other yeah. was uh, on some of the longer runs where... I'd say the first hour it was always really hard, but then after that you hit this moment where it's like I I can just run all day here. Like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. I, it's not I'm pushing myself. It's like for me to stop now would be it would take me some effort. There is a genuine momentum that just wants me to continue, um, and that's how I describe that high. It's like I feel great. I want to do more, and I genuinely you know am enjoying what I'm doing. Mm. And, Interesting. And not being a runner at all myself. That I was quite surprised by that because yeah, yeah. I, I don't describe myself as a runner. Okay, fair enough. Did you did your body composition change at all during from day one to day five? What did you notice uh, about your body? It did. So I tracked everything, so from blood markers and the rest. But one of the key things was I did a full body scan the day before my five marathons, and then I did a full body scan the day after. So I'd get a very accurate result. Is that a DEXA scan? Is that a DEXA? Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, yeah. So the DEXA scan does. Well, it measures a whole bunch of things, but one of the key ones is um, it's a very accurate measure of my total body weight, but also my body composition being uh, how much fat have I got on me and how much um, sort of lean tissue and et cetera. So Uh this was, this blows people away in terms of the five days, zero calorie intake and five marathons. Um, I lost in total uh, three kilograms. Uh, yep. And of that, one kilogram of fat was all that I lost during that entire period. Right. Wow. Gosh, I lost a little bit of lean muscle tissue, but yeah. So, oh, sorry. And of that, the the lean tissue is to one is it's it's muscle fiber. The other is water, and the other oh yes, you did talk to, you did tell me this. Yes, yes, I yeah. remember now. Yep. So across right. all, of it, it's um it surprised a lot of people because I would also argue that I've done now the most extreme version of uh, the eat less, move more methodology around weight loss. Um, yeah, and I can absolutely. I can I can tell you it wasn't very efficient. Losing only one kilo with that much effort. Yeah, um, there are definitely it's massive. Ways to do things. It's massive, oh, and, isn't and it? Within a week, I'd put it all back on. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's the thing. People want the quick fix, don't they, for weight loss? But it's always you put it always comes back. Sometimes more than you know, it comes back double. Yeah. So. You've mentioned that you had a scan before and after. What was your team? Who was looking after you? Because I know you had a few doctors or did you have a doctor on board or 
was it yeah. just as you were learning you had a doctor on board no absolutely because it is such a, a call it an aggressive goal i wanted to make sure that i had the right people um to give me the confidence that what i was doing with it was within uh call it the playbook or the scientific playbook of how it should be done so yes i did have a i had a i had a great team that were helping me and a lot of that was in the months pre, like preceding the um uh the challenge because uh at its core the physical part was only one part of it. The real key was getting my body to be fat adapted and um, adhering to what I needed to do nutritionally to be able to give my body the best chance to be able to do what it did. So yes, I had a team of doctors. I had um, in this space, you would know. So Dr. Paul Mason, who's obviously very big Lovely. in the cup space. Um, right. he, was, he was my- How did you get him on board? He's a busy man. He's a very, very busy man. Well, all these people are very busy, but I tell you what, when you approach someone, and I did just approach him, I said, look, I, I'm i going to do this, whether you help me or not. Um, I'm going to do five marathons faster. Um, what a great opportunity. Look, I'll, I'll be your guinea pig. So right. any test results right. you want to get out of me, absolutely, I'll do anything you want because I'm going to do it. So let's see what we can get out of this. Yeah. What can I give it's back separate. to the local community? Um, yeah, data point for this. So uh, he was very enthusiastic from the start and said, "Look, this is great. This is this is really exciting." Uh, yeah. So yeah, Paul Mason was very much um, uh, it was very helpful in making sure that I was doing things the right way. Um, on the dietitian side, um, Dr. Jessica Turton. Uh, was oh, also, lovely! Yeah, yeah, she's she's phenomenal. She's been helping me for a number of years now, just on the diet side of things. But she was great around formulating or just really being a sounding board to make sure that how i'm going about this is the right way yep. um, plus i also relied on or tapped into a couple of or one other doctor dr ian lake who is a doctor from the uk now he's, oh, he's got a i don't know story. ian lake right okay yes. um definitely a guy that you want to look look into so dr ian lake very quickly is um on his background is a, he's actually a type 1 diabetic himself um, and he's really the reason or the inspiration for me to set myself this challenge because in 2020, mm. as a type 1 diabetic, him and seven others um, set themselves to a goal to do 100 miles in five days, completely fasted. So Running? That, uh, no, just completing the distance. So some ran, some, oh. some walked. All right, uh, yeah, yeah. But he, wow. he achieved that particularly. So 100 <laughs> miles is four marathons. Yeah. Um, in that five-day period but as a type 1 diabetic he was able to do that and demonstrate um that uh you know the safety and and, and uh yeah, that, yeah. Also, that is quite possible so he, he had knowing and that he was able to do it gave me some additional confidence in what i was doing but oh, i reached wow. out to him and said Ian, i'd love to hear your story how would i go about this and he was very instrumental in helping me plan to do what i was doing crazy so you talk about um getting fat adapted in the first place how long did it take you do you think people always want to know will I be fat adapted after three days which I feel is a bit of a quick quick expectation what's your understanding about that or how did it happen for you uh so for me so I'd already been um living a low carb lifestyle for more than a decade so I, I had right. a good start um mm-hmm. and I would argue that I already was fat adapted naturally going into it so it wasn't a big shift to me but yeah what yeah. i find from because a lot of people ask me this and they you know people start to um uh, give this a go i should say um and the results vary on on each person so as a the best i've seen was kind of be about the three or four week mark is what it would take but it could be anywhere from three weeks to sort of six to eight weeks um, for someone to become 
um, purely fat adapted. Um, but the benefits of that fat adaptation uh, adaptation um, accrue over time. So it might be for everyone, you're going to see great results in a couple of weeks, uh, mm. a couple more weeks, and then you get to the point. Uh, so the it depends on at what level do you say that one is fat adapted is probably yeah I, I see I see what you're saying yeah because the benefits are there so how do you actually how do you know personally how much fat adaption you need for you to get to the benefits yes. of the whole process at the end of the day yeah, yeah it's interesting is your family low carb as well uh so some are um some because are, yeah. yeah so some of them are and it it's it's one of those things it's where <laughs> a lot of people like to give it a go and um so of my family so I'm talking about my broader family so my um wife and my my daughter are both celiac so that means oh. that they need to avoid gluten so yes. that naturally can lend itself to more of a low carb lifestyle so yeah um, but saying that they're um, it, within my household, I'm definitely the one that is probably the, the leading. Yeah, I'm a bit, it's a bit like that in mind as well. Yeah, like that in mind as well. It's got to be so, a forerunner, hasn't there? That's right. So it's look, I like to set an example about how I do things, but I do um, particularly where look, my wife, as, as lots of wives do, run the household and she's in charge of the kids and does a great job of doing that. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm very much respectful of of her approach about how she does things, but. Um, across my broader family, like my siblings, and um, uh, so uh, quite a few of them are now low carb, and quite a lot of my friends as well, having seen some of the benefits of of my journey. Yeah, um, good. One really wants to sort of say, oh, "Look, I'll I'll have a bit of that, please." This is yes, please, please, yeah. I? You're looking so great. That's what I always get told. What are you doing? You're looking so great, and I think, well, it's just it's just what you eat, and you know. I think for me as well, the, the whole social aspect of going out and then people looking at you weird because you're not having the stuff that they're having is hard sometimes. So sometimes a few carbs do creep in. And yeah. that's just what I allow myself to do because I feel like you've got to have a social life at some respect. You know, when you're going out, yeah. it's difficult. And then there's the whole story around vegetable oils and all of that. That's yes. every food that you eat probably when you eat out has got vegetable oils in it and you can't get away yeah. from them as you yeah, that's I, right. I know what so I, uh, sorry, what, what I was going to say to that is um, what uh, I find the sweet spot is just if people are aware of call it, the trades they're making with some of those dietary choices, it, you don't need to be perfect. Um, no, but and yeah. if I give you a silly example, which, you know, arguably um, you can probably uh, sort of tear apart a little bit, but I say, right, if you're going out and you're going out for your meal and you, let's say you're going to the pub, Okay, and I call this my potato calc. It's saying, right, if we know that call it if carbs are doing some bad things to us around spiking our insulin, um, blood glucose and our insulin levels, which is causing driving some of this um, this fat accumulation, um, then we say, right, if our goal is to minimise our spike of blood sugar, um, if I were to say, right, I'm going to the pub, my one large potato has about seventy grams of carbs, I could say, well, as a, as a guy going to the pub, how many low carb beers could I have? To equate to that one potato, and this part mm-hmm. is fine. So, um, even with a call it a pure blonde or something like that, which is about one point eight grams of carbs per beer, um, it's about thirty six beers I could have for the equivalent yeah. of carb load. Now, it, obviously, there's alcohol in there. I'm not promoting alcohol, nor saying that is a healthy thing. No, but if exactly. you're be looking at the carb um, side of things, um, the decision then becomes: you know what? If I'm going to have my steak and and my potato, 
I could probably avoid the potato and have two beers and I would be miles ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. it's, it's, I'm not being perfect, but it's a really smart trade for achieving my goals. So um, exactly. that's what I with it. I think I've noticed as well, a few pubs are now have got a low-carb beer on tap, so it's easy to make that choice. They seem to have them around. Yes. Did you measure ketones at all while you were running? Yes, you did. I did. So yep. how did you go with that? Yeah, so um, so I measured them uh, in two ways. So I measured um, them via my, uh, like a finger prick test, so measuring yep. my blood ketones, which would be yep. my um, beta-hydroxybutyrate is what I measured. Yeah. Uh, yep. And I also did a um, like a urine test strip, so um, mm-hmm. which is a different ketone that you're measuring, but I did do both. So right. what I found was um, even in the lead up to all of my trading, while I was continuing to eat, and I, at that, because I was really committed to making sure I was fat adapted, I was like, arguably zero carbohydrate for the couple of months coming into it. So, to yeah, right. I was there. Good job. Um, my blood ketones um, would never get above uh, 0.1 to about 0.3 at, at, at its highest, which is... Right. Um, 0.3, not 3.3, point, right. 0.3, and that was as far as I could ever get it to go. Um, not that it was... A, it was a, it was, was that blood a, or was that the urine? No, that's blood. <laughs> that was blood. Blood, right. Yeah. Now, but once I started my fasting, um, day one of fasting, I was at 0.1, um, and then oh, I've got my numbers here. Day two, I was 1.9. Day three, 2.1. Uh, and it escalated through to my final day where my blood ketone level was 4.3. So it really escalated quite a lot. And the fasting element drove a lot of that. Oh, sorry, Linda, I think I've lost some sound there. Sorry, sorry, I'm back. I was muting myself when I was coughing. Um, I've only got my blood ketones up to about 4, I think 4.9 when I've cycled, Okay. fasted. For about you know an hour or something that has happened to me, but I really find it difficult to have that. I guess because I've been eating a low carb diet for a while now. On the fingerprint, it's hard to get it up up in the higher numbers that I'm always striving for because I think that's where yeah. I have to be. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's my experience of ketones. But that you did pretty well with that. I would have yeah. thought. Well, look, my, and my view is I don't think targeting ketone levels is is a goal. I think it is just a measure of the state of your body at any point in time. Right, uh, and my view is: look, while your body is producing ketones, you are in a state of ketosis, mm. and doing that for a long enough period will mean that you will eventually be um, fat adapted. So, uh, I am. Are you? Uh, a, you know, are you better at it, so to speak, if your ketone levels are higher? I would argue no. It's just no, I, mm. everyone's results are going to be different, um, and. I would not be, my message is don't stress if your ketone levels aren't at a level because someone else you know is at that level. It's yeah. unique to you. Um, and while you are producing ketones, then yes, you you will be um, receiving the benefits of being in that state. Yeah, I think people, when they first start the low-carb lifestyle, a lot of people are doing it for a, for a body composition change and the ketone level is the thing they strive for. They always want this high number. Because uh, I guess the understanding is for some people that if they've got the high number, it means they're burning fat quicker, so they'll get thinner quicker. Yeah. But um, I don't really feel that that's a true understanding of ketones at all. I think what you're saying is right. If you've got some in your system, you're yeah. you're, you're becoming more fat adapted. And I think yeah. the further you go along, from my experience, the less uh, ketones actually show up yeah. in all of these tests because your body's more um, efficient at using them. Yes. 
Yeah, that- and look, I've had similar conversations where someone will say to me, look, my ketone levels aren't where they want to be. I'm like, well, how are you yeah. feeling? Like, I feel amazing. I've yeah. never felt better in my life. I'm like, mm. that, that's the piece you want to hang on to. Like if you're great, you've got great energy, no, like mental, you've got complete mental clarity, um, then yet the benefits that come with that around the weight loss and, um, you know, the, the measures of, of ketone levels, I think uh, they will come. Um, but the ultimate goal is, well, the ultimate objective is, look, we all just want to feel great. And while you're feeling great, you must be doing something right. Must be doing uh, right. Yeah. So the lead up to your marathon, how much how much training did you do to lead up to this day? And you yeah. off you went on your your first marathon. So uh, from when I set myself the goal, I hadn't run for ten years, and I decided I was going to oh, do it. Gosh, so, okay. And then I but said, okay, well, fresh. I better start training. I better start training. So better I set start. myself a goal of. Um, Originally, I thought six months, but then I sort of stretched it out to a year. Uh, oh, right. I, yeah, and I slowly sort of worked my way up. So, yeah, good. Um, and while I said slowly, often I had a lot of trouble with um, injuries around sort of calf muscle strains and and sort of doing things because I was a little bit aggressive with my training and how I was going yeah. about, um, which is kind of to be expected. So I would, you know, pull a muscle and it means I wouldn't run for six weeks. So I'd be out and then I'd do it again. Oh, oh right. It was, yeah. it was a bit of a battle, but serious training I started would have been probably three or four months out. Um, and that was just accumulating volume. So I worked my way up to uh, probably a month prior, averaging about 60 to a hundred kilometers per week. Um, okay. Yeah. Quite a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of that would be, again, doing it very slow. So it was about time on my feet rather than how far I would be travelling. Right, because uh, it's all about your heart rate, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Keeping yeah, yeah. that heart rate at Just a constant rate. Legs was a big, a big part of it. So a lot of people say that when they're fat adapted and they're using ketones for fuel and they do any kind of um, physical activity, their recovery is really quick or yes. they recover way better than they did when they weren't fat adapted. Yes. So you've run for five days, you've fasted for five days. What yep. was your recovery looking like? How did you feel the day after your last run? Do you remember? Well, I can remember. So the things that I can attest to, and even with all of my training, was um, I, I never, ever, ever once got any muscle soreness. Um, oh, okay. I've noticed that. Yeah, yep. yeah, I've no, noticed no that. No muscle soreness, yep. So, which was quite surprising because the amount of volume I did. Um, now, muscles are different yeah. to ligaments and tendons. So during yeah. my five marathons, um, that was the part that was sort of really um, quite difficult because I was having a lot of pain in, you know, joints because things just weren't used to that workload. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah. And But recovery was, um, like, in, and as I said, energy-wise, every day I had enough energy and um, also uh, like the mental clarity, people are like, well, your brain will stop working by, by you know. Oh, right. Is through. that what you heard? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was more, look, your brain needs glucose for energy and all of that. Sort oh, of stuff. They were, yeah, there is that, it, isn't it there? Absolutely yes. absolutely does. But your body is a very capable um, machine and what it does, it's a, it will create its own glucose. It does. Yeah. And it will do so at a rate which is demand driven. The more you need, the more it cre- will create. Phenomenal, and, aren't we? You know, uh, when you think about astounding. even that little process that your body yeah. knows how much glucose it needs. So it makes it for you. Yeah, that's it. We're crazy. Don't need need to get in the road. So, um, and what I tried to do even through my whole journey of my marathons was um, 
uh, take little videos where it was me just having a conversation, but um, and, and you know observations or cracking jokes, which none of that material itself is really great, but it's been very useful to now look back on and see oh. what, what mental state was I like? Was I yeah. you know, off with the fairies or was I was I completely cognizant? Uh, and yeah, I could tell you I was very sharp mentally all the way through. Um, I was having conversations yeah. while I was running with a lot of people. Um, even taking some work calls and people didn't know that I was, you know, on day Running four, a marathon. four marathons <laughs> um, and uh, still sort of getting work done. So when you were running the marathons, what was your intake? Were you running on electrolytes or just salt or uh, yeah. any, yeah, what were you ingesting? So a big part of that was ensuring that my electrolytes were um, were high because there's no way yeah. you can use purely on water and hydration yeah. is not just about H2O water. Uh, yeah. is ensuring that you do get those electrolytes. So there was a lot of planning going into that. But to give you an idea, on average, I would be consuming somewhere between seven to 10 teaspoons of salt per day. Yeah, um, wow. So really trying to keep that very, very high. Uh, and my supplementation was well, around the big electrolytes that we care about or that matter sort of the most in this challenge was mm. uh, sodium, uh, potassium, uh, magnesium. Um, yeah. So I would top up with some supplementation of particularly magnesium just to ensure that. Yeah, that for your, right. your muscles, yeah. Yeah, but an, an interesting anecdotal data point was I didn't get a single cramp in the entire five days. So not at wow. or running. Gosh. Not one. Not That's all. fantastic. So whoever worked that out for you did a great job. Did you work that out yourself or? Oh, well, that was part of where my team came in. So yeah. Was, yeah, the likes of Jessica and Paul to say, Thanks, right, what, team. What, what do I need to do each day and how do I make sure that I'm, I'm, um, I've got adequate, not only uh, water, but adequate electrolytes through this because, you know, I'm, I'm going to need a lot. So Seven I, to I 10 teaspoons of, of um, salt because we're all, that's, I mean, I understand that you need to drink that much, but for people listening, they might think, whoa, you know, that's so bad for your heart and your arteries and all of those yes. things. But it's one nutrient that we actually need a lot of, as, especially on a lower-carb diet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, And the way it was explained to me is, look, our kidneys also do a wonderful job of um, uh, managing our salt intake. So... Mm. Um, I, I particularly given what I was doing, erring on the side of uh, too much was much better than erring on the side of not enough because of the consequences of getting your uh, electrolytes out of balance. Um, it can become uh, like it can become a deadly situation if your mm, 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 mm. water intake exceeds the, the the balance of your electrolytes and you become mm, so mm. depleted. Uh, yes, then get get really nasty suffer quickly. Yes. You yeah. suffer. So tell me about um, you're running a marathon. I have no idea what that looks like in terms yeah. of time. So how 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 long was each day of running, and did it get less or more over the five days? Yeah. So um, probably another point that most people don't realize: I'd never run a marathon before. So the day right. one, the day one of my five marathons. Go on in there. Marathon. So <laughs> there was a little bit of uh, I don't know what I don't know here, but. Um, to give you an idea of, of time, so my fastest marathon of the five was about five hours, five and a half hours. Um, right. So that's averaging, okay. uh, it's at about eight minute kilometers thereabouts was nice. kind of my target. It's not too bad. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, well, and speed wasn't a goal, but it no. was kind of that trade off. The more time I'm on my feet, the less time I've got to recover before the next marathon. So yes, yes. Trying to make sure I do it fast enough that I don't burn out, and you know, yeah. so there was a bit of a bit of strategy there. But in the end, it was look just trying to complete them. So my slowest marathon was about six hours forty, I believe. Um, mm. The other interesting thing, the second fastest of all of my marathons was my marathon number five, which was oh, true my very last marathon five days in and uh, was the official Sydney marathon. So Wow. Oh, okay. That's the one that you did. So, well, so one, did... one quick story, which you may find fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That, um, the first four of my marathons were out uh, sort of at Western Sydney and we were, I was running around the Nepean River and the um, Sydney Regatta Centre where they hold a lot of triathlons and a lot of events. So right. on my day, fourth day of my um, five marathons, the regatta centre was closed. So I had to alter my course. So I ran just around the river. Um, the challenge on that day, it was 37 degrees. So it was oh, extremely oh. hot. It was very, yeah. very hot. So 37 degrees uh, and being a Saturday around the river, um, they were actually holding a festival. So they were actually smoking meat all day we're oh. around this continuous loop so in 35 degrees i was running around an enormous barbecue on day four of my five oh, so, and you were thinking faster of my five marathons so it was, um, added an extra challenge to the whole thing but you know give me a chop give me a chop you probably oh, it was but yeah thankfully <laughs> it wasn't too much and it was uh um i took a lot of uh uh it helped with the mental strength side of things. It was like, right, what what new challenge can you throw at me to, you know, to make this harder? Yeah, Easy. yeah, exactly. I'm make it harder it. for me. So when you're running, do you listen to any podcasts or books or music or no, nothing? Uh, so normally I, I would, um, but going into this, my first marathon I didn't at all uh, because yeah. I was on yeah. high alert. Every time I'd run, I'd really kept pulling muscles uh, or doing yeah. issues. So it was kind of... Uh, I would say every few minutes it was doing a self-diagnostics, like, is everything okay? What have I done wrong? I'm just trying to make sure I don't, you know, blow a gasket yeah. anyway. So um, my first marathon, I didn't. Um, my second marathon, I was in a lot of pain with joint pain and hip pain and that sort of thing. So the music became a distraction away from the yeah. pain. Yes. yes. So it was uh, a very useful distraction for me to, you know, put on my playlist and sing a song while I'm, you know, running along just to get yeah. my mind anything other than what I was feeling in my hip or knee or ankle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, I listen to songs when I'm doing my 5K run, so I need it. I'm trying to take my mind off my heart rate, so yes. I have to have the music to distract me. Yes. Have you always been a high achiever, do you think, in your life? Uh well, well, what I've been very good at is um, my uh, persistence. So I like to set a goal, and if I set my mind to something, then I will I will do everything I can to do so to to achieve that. Um, and yeah, across sort of my career, again, finance was my career is my career, um, and I've been successful in that world. But I think what has led me to my success in that world, I think, has translated over into the nutrition space, which is a willingness to understand uh, or a desire to understand and to really dig deep and question everything that I hear. So um, I'm also, I'm a CA, a chartered accountant. So it's kind of, I need third party proof of everything to ensure the numbers stack up. Uh, and I've taken that approach into the nutrition world where if this, if guideline XYZ says to do something, mm -hmm. I'll look at the source and I'll read through the source to see, well, does that source support what you're saying? 
And the story yeah. is just how often that is not to be the not not true. So the source mm-hmm. does not support the statement. So yeah, there's a lot of that going on, isn't there? So yeah. what's next for you with all of this? Ah, oh, I guess um, it's not really I, a hobby, is it? It's a little little deviation from the accounting world. Yeah, well, that's right. So um, what's next? So I think the immediate part would be um, getting what I've done on people's radars because I think. Um, it's a very useful data point for people to say, well, look, there is another way to do things. Um, often in the low carb space, it is someone comes into it because they have a health issue. Uh, so they say, right, I am sick and I'm using this to get better. Uh, where I'm hoping what I've done via um, completing this challenge is to say, well, look, I was already healthy, but what I've been able to do is something that many would perceive to be extraordinary uh, because of, again, using all the same principles that got XYZ person healthy, um, it was able to give me an ability which is beyond what most people could comprehend. Um, and like I said, I'm not an athlete. I'm just kind of an ordinary guy, which I would like to say that, um, you know, following the, the the science and the my understanding with, and the help of the team that um, made sure I was on the right track, was able to execute um, something that, many people would deem to be impossible well until now Mm. it's definitely a new way of looking at marathons isn't it you know i guess as you said in the beginning opening your mind to the possibilities and learning about what your body's capable of it's just a it's phenomenal what you've done you must be feeling on top of the world have all those results and all those numbers because that's your accounting side coming out yeah yeah, Um, definitely you know it must be fantastic so people can find you at the Keto Marathon. That's your website. Yes, so um, ketomarathons.com. I have yeah all my information on there. But uh, And I do have some social media um, handles on Insta, again, Keto Marathons and on Facebook. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm slowly posting material on there. Um, but, look, I'd love to get in contact with if anyone wants to find out or have a chat about what I did or how I went about it. But, yep. um, Maybe but, some of my park runners, if they listen to this, they might say, help me do my 5Ks, and you'll think, that's nothing, 5Ks, uh, try a math- marathon. Well, look, I think for everyone it's you've got to start somewhere. And, you do. Hoping, again, what, what I'm doing is just to inspire people to say, okay, look, there is there is a way to do this um, and find what works for, for me. Uh, and, look, also, where people think, okay, I wake up in the morning and I look, I haven't got enough energy to get through lunchtime. Like it's a busy mm-hmm. morning. Well, look, I've done five marathons in five days completely fasted. Yeah. I reckon we can get through to lunchtime. And even if that becomes the goal for someone to say, right, we're going to get through the day, um, where look, if I if I'm able to embrace the ketogenic lifestyle, I'm going to have more than enough energy to get through my day. And life becomes, you know, like you're you're energizer bunny again. And what it I is, want to, uh, yeah. to create opportunities. It does. So what I've noticed when I am more fat adapted or oh, I don't even know that that's a fair statement. When I notice I've got more ketones or whatever I do, um, some days I'm really clear in my mindset and I can do lots of things. And then some days I'm a bit tired. Maybe that's when I've not been so on the ball with it all. But it's all a learning, isn't it? It's all learning. Oh, it and it's- and that's it. And, um, yeah, if anything, what I've done starts a conversation with people because they'd like yeah, to say, sure Hang does. I didn't think that was possible. Was How that? did yeah. you do it? And if that is going to get people to say, well, you know what, I probably should look into this keto thing just a little bit more and explore it. Um, that's To me, that's very empowering because everyone uh, really is entitled to um, – 
explore what works for them. So mm, mm, mm. Um, this it's it's a very real thing, uh, and I would uh, really encourage everyone to just give it a go, have an open mind, and say, right, let's just give this a go for a little bit. My only mm-hmm. caveat to that would be if you give it a go for two weeks and it doesn't work for you, it's going to be a three-week window before, at least, before yes. you get the benefits of it. So yes. really commit to this, I would say, for a month and say, right, I'm going to commit for that month. Let's see how it goes. Things may go a little bit awry because your body's adjusting during that period. Yes. But yep. after that time, then I've give, I've genuinely given it a go and then reassess. Mm. So did it work for me or not? Mm-mm-mm. And I think the great thing that I see about, uh, you sharing the story is people become a bit apprehensive about having ketones. You know, they worry that they're going to have ketoacidosis and all of these things to cause them problems where, I mean, us that are in the world of this know that that's not possible, but you've actually shown that it's not possible for you um, doing what you're doing. And you were very careful. You had your team with you. You looked after it yourself and did it properly, scientifically, kept your numbers Yes. So you've really highlighted the fact that we can actually do this, which is fantastic. Yes. Yeah, well, it's a very deliberate approach to make sure that um, I wasn't dismissed as kind of another low-carb quack or something like that, just trying yeah. to do something, you know, aggressively to get some attention. So um, I'd love the attention to be on what I did, not who I am, and yep. um, showing that, yep. um, uh, yeah, via my website as well, showing, look, there is a lot behind this, which is not just... Uh, me putting myself through some pain uh there is uh, it's a very good website really demonstrating yeah i'm really demonstrating kind of the principles that i've learned and applying those for me so i can hand on heart now say look it absolutely is true that you do have a lot of energy when you are fat adapted um and when you can tap into that then um you know it's the possibilities become uh well it's quite exciting like what, Mm. what else can we do what else can we do? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you for giving me your time. I've taken up nearly an hour. We've been chatting of your day. Oh, thank um, you. And I'm I got through without you. coughing too much. <laughs> so I'll be glad to have my voice back soon. Um, yes. And I'll get this out on the on the airwaves later on today or tomorrow morning. So then we can yeah, share away and get people listening to your story. I, that's That's my goal, to have people listen to you. Thank yes. you. It's been really well, thank enlightening. Thank you so much, Linda. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, look, I love all your work and I've loved listening to your podcast. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you.